It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. One way we try to make your life easier is through the Team Clark Consumer Action Center, where you can get free one-on-one advice, information, guidance about a question or problem you have. This is a service we've offered for 30 years. Our actual 30-year anniversary is in eight days. We'll be officially 30 years old. The free advice is offered six hours each day, Monday through Friday, and you can see all the scoop about hours, contact information at clark.com slash CAC for Consumer Action Center, or you can call 636-49-CLARK. And so many people have cell phones where it's hard to dial one of those vanity numbers that's somebody's name or whatever. So the actual number you can just punch in, 636-492-5275. And one thing we're getting so many questions about more than normal is medical debt. Because there's a lot of changes in the rules about how medical debt is reported, what medical bills you have to pay and all the rest, what bill is in fact allowed. And so we're going to talk about that straight ahead. And later, seems like everywhere in America, there's two seasons with the roads, except in the southern tier where road construction goes on all year long. It's orange cones or winter. And so we are in a never-ending quest to widen freeways, but for some reason, we're always chasing our tail. Why and what is my radical idea about what we can do about it? I'm going to share that with you later. So medical debt counts historically for half of the negative marks collectively on people's credit reports. Medical debt is this huge burden on the American people, and there are a number of reasons why medical debt has become such a huge issue. But one thing in particular that you've heard me talk about is the medical industry in the United States fights tooth and nail against every attempt for price disclosure before services are rendered, and people get into all kinds of harm's way. One of the areas that continues to burden people is ambulances. The ambulance industry is the number one source of unreimbursed surprise bills now in the United States. And when Congress, in its wisdom, passed the No Surprises Act that helps so much with surprise medical bills and no longer puts you and me in the middle as the insurance company and the provider fight about a bill. If you do certain things in most cases, you can no longer be faced with a massive surprise bill for some provider who supposedly is out of network, even though you did everything you were supposed to do before uh, surgery or something like that to certify in network or in an emergency situation, and you go to a facility that's in your plan, 
you can't then be billed these outrageous out-of-plan charges in almost all cases now. And that's why the No Surprises Act has been such a wonderful benefit to consumers because we were just being cynically taken advantage of by medical providers and by insurance companies prior. But the ambulance thing remains such a problem, and so many people have heard about it, that this is terrible, but a lot of people who need to be rushed to the hospital and could benefit from the assistance of trained professionals in transport to a hospital are now, believe it or not, using Uber and Lyft to go to the hospital because what they've heard about what a friend or family member has faced with a multi, multi, multi thousand dollar bill for an ambulance. This is terrible. Imagine somebody dies on the way to the hospital because they were so worried about the ambulance charge that they took an Uber or Lyft. I remember my middle child, my daughter, Steffi, was because she's thrifty like I am. She was doing one of those shared ride Ubers, and they stopped to pick up a couple, and the woman was in severe medical distress. They were going to the hospital emergency room, and they were afraid of going in an ambulance. I, I mean, you hear Steffi talk about this. And so Steffi said, just take me with them to the hospital, skip my stop. And she got another ride because she wanted that woman, you know, in that wow. hospital for care. I mean, that's how much a problem the ambulance thing is. And let's face it, members of Congress don't understand this stuff. They have the best gold-plated medical care of anybody in the United States, other than maybe the president or vice president. The members of Congress have voted in benefits for themselves for health care that are extraordinary. And so they don't experience any of these things. But it absolutely is something we need an amendment to the No Surprises Act, or we need a new specific monoline law that deals with these ambulance charges because for people to put themselves at risk of dying because of these surprise multi-thousand dollar ambulance bills, this is wrong and needs to be fixed. Again, this is the ambulance provider and the insurers both being cynical and sticking the consumer with an unknown charge that only appears later. There are now a number of nonprofits that are doing the craziest thing because so much medical ends up never being paid and then the people's credit gets ruined who don't pay those medical bills. And there are these nonprofits that go out as debt buyers and buy people's medical debts that are seen as uncollectible and buy them for like half a penny on the dollar, a penny on the dollar, whatever. And then they wipe out the bad debt for the consumer and clean their credit. That's awesome. And that is the free market doing an amazing thing to improve people's lives. Krista? Amy in Georgia says, I was charged over $5,000 for a CT scan at a hospital, and I looked up the average cost for a CT scan. It's about $1,500. My child had a scan this summer in Florida, and the cost was around $800. When I called to inquire, I was told the hospitals can choose the amount they want to charge, which I think is ridiculous. Clark, 
please help me fight this so that I don't have to pay so much. Amy, I'm gathering from what you've said, you don't have health insurance or you have a very limited policy, maybe with a very high deductible. And so what you want to do is not deal with the billing department at the hospital. This is a giant nonprofit hospital chain. And as a nonprofit, they have to do a certain amount of community care and uncompensated care in order to maintain their massive advantage in the marketplace of not having to pay taxes. By the way, I'm familiar that this hospital system is one of many of these large nonprofits that report huge profits, but just pocket them tax-free and pay their key administrators millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, a massive abuse of the American people and of taxpayers. So what you do, don't, don't gripe about all that when you talk to them, but the hospital will have a patient advocate or a hospital social worker. They'll call it whatever. And you go to that individual and you get their help negotiating. The billing department cannot negotiate these bills, but the patient advocate can. And again, they're required to do a certain amount of this because they want to maintain their nonprofit status. What you pointed out is what we talked about before with various imaging. Like I had an MRI recently and it would have been thousands upon thousands of dollars at a hospital. I went to a freestander, paid cash. What I paid in cash, $4.99 was less than what my copay would have been or deductible, whatever you call it, for that would have been at a hospital. Many of these things we do now, these uh, various imaging, things like that, are cheaper going to these freestanders that are not associated with these hospital monsters, and you will pay less money. Just like you experienced with your child's CT scan in the summer, where it was 800 versus yours, 5,000. What was the difference in the quality of that CT scan? None. The difference in the bill, 5,000 for yours retail, 800 for your kids. That is crazy. And again, this is why price disclosure up front must come to medicine. We have two people who wrote in, Christopher in Oregon and Joe in New Jersey, about your number one travel rule to save money, which is, <laughs> what is your rule? Buy the deal and then figure out why you want to go there. Yep. Don't pick the destination. Um, so This in- was in our newsletter recently. Mm-hmm. And so I have had at least, oh my goodness, I'm past a dozen people who've stopped me to talk about it and discuss it with me, some disagreeing, some giving experiences they got good deals. What do you have for me? So Christopher in Oregon says his wife really wants to go to Hawaii for the first time to celebrate their anniversary in June. Fares seem very high at the moment, but is there usually a better window closer to our trip? Should I just book a package through Costco or mix and match with other booking services? Any advice would be huge. Thank you. And then I'm also going to just read Joe's real can I, quick. Can I do that first, though? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, because this is very specific, mm-hmm. living in Oregon and wanting to go to Hawaii. So with the Hawaiian Islands, the airfares from the West Coast have been the lowest I can ever recall lately. And so you just got to wait for a cycle of sales. 
and set up an alert on any of the search things like Google Flights, Kayak, or Hopper. So you set up the fare alerts and they'll let you know. It's been very common. In fact, just a few weeks ago, fares to Hawaii from certain West Coast cities were 178 round trip. So they don't go nearly as cheaply from, if you're near the Portland airport, they don't go nearly as cheaply. But many times from Seattle, they do. You will, though, be able to find a deal from the West Coast to Hawaii. Hard part when you get to Hawaii is it's really expensive for accommodations right now in Hawaii. Cheaper than they were at the peak prices Hawaii was having the first half of last year, but still very elevated. So speaking of that, Joe in New Jersey says his issue with your number one travel rule is um, that you pay for the flight, then find out that the hotel and rental car costs are exorbitant, eliminating any savings you may have received by getting a discounted flight. Hotels and car rentals can easily exceed flight costs. Maybe you should start with getting a discounted hotel. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful question. All right. So that was more a statement, Joe, but let me respond to it. So you have 24 hours after you book an airline flight to decide, oops, bad idea, cancel. So what I'd like for you to do is book and pay for the flight, making sure that you have in the terms 24 hours to cancel, uh, fee and penalty free, get your money back. And in fact, I find airlines typically don't even put through the charge you're outside the 24 hours so they don't pay the merchant fees and then have to refund and pay more merchant fees so what you do during that 24 hours that's your shopping time to see what accommodations will cost you to see what a rental car will cost you and then you're in the position of having had your cake and eat it too you got the great airfare when it popped up because the airfare deals they're here they're gone they're here they're gone So you want to grab those, use that window almost like an option period. And if it turns out you're right, the hotels are crazy expensive, the car rentals are insane, well, you're fine. You just cancel the flight and you say, well, that would have been nice. And it costs you nothing but your time. And my middle brother has found with car rentals, when demand is really high in an area, He's been saving a great deal of money with Turo. You've done some Turo too, Mm -hmm. right? Where you rent an individual's car rental. And my brother was just at the recent National College Championship game in Los Angeles. And the car rentals supposedly spiked it nearly $1,000 a day. And he rented a Turo and saved a fortune. So you're not stuck anymore with the three car rental behemoths, uh, Hertz, Avis, Enterprise, that actually the three of them own virtually every other car brand there is, you do have this outside option of doing almost like a peer-to-peer like Airbnb to get your car. Speaking of cars, why is it that we're so excited when the freeway goes from three lanes each way to five each way, and suddenly traffic's moving so much faster, and then a year later, it's back to the same speed it was before it was widened. Why is that? We're going to talk about that, and what's my alternative that lets the free market solve the traffic flow problem? 
I mean, it is true what I said just a few minutes ago. You widen a road at enormous cost to the American people, to the taxpayers. And at first, things are so much better. And then before you know it, they're back to where they were before with traffic being just as bad as it was before the hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever was spent to widen whatever stretch of road it is. This is, you know, we talk about supply and demand. The funny thing about roads is increased supply creates new demand. And that's why we're always chasing our tails with roads in these vast urban sprawls that account for the overwhelming amount of population in the United States, that it feels like we're in a trap that can't get better. So a free market solution that started in the uh, first efforts were in the 1990s and has become extremely popular in the last 10 years is building HOTS or high occupancy toll lanes. And so these toll lanes are adjacent to existing roads or it's a whole separate road next to a paid road. I mean, a free road. But the hot lanes cost a fortune to build. I mean, an unbelievable amount of money. And when you're in a metro area that has these, they'll show what the current rate is for the toll riding in the toll lane next to the free road. And then it'll show you as a marketing thing, it'll say, hey, you can stay in the regular lanes and your ride from this point to that point will be 33 minutes. But if you pay the toll, your ride's only 14 minutes. And it's pretty clever marketing, right? And the toll is using full free market pricing And so the toll will escalate or fall down based on what demand, absolute demand is at that time. Now, if you've listened to me for a long time, you know what my answer is. But if you've never heard me say it, I want to let you know what I think we should do. And if you heard me say this before, you may have vehemently disagreed. But if you want to efficiently use the roads we have, and not spend these zillion dollars on improvements, adding these lanes. What you do instead is you toll all lanes at all times on freeways, urban freeways. Now, before you start throwing bricks at me or chunks of asphalt, hear me through. If you toll the roads... And over a 24-hour period, you made it net neutral. You use the marketplace to set prices from paying people to be on the road in very, very quiet times to neutral during normal driving times to higher fees during peak times. The amount of driving that is discretionary is shocking. We saw that during... The COVID stuff back in 20, where traffic on roads collapsed. If you, instead of having a lane you built that was just a toll lane and you build all the ramps and all that infrastructure and all that, when you do that, you're spending 
massive amounts of money. Some of these roads are past a billion dollars for 15 or 20 miles of length. If instead, and the tolls can go crazy, they can, one way the toll can be $15, $20, depending on the demand at that time. But if you tolled all the lanes that already exist, the tolls would never go crazy high. And again, because it would have to be revenue neutral during times at like two in the morning, somebody gets paid to be on the road. The idea is that you completely level out traffic. It's the fact that the road is free creates the unbelievable demand to be on the road. And so that's the thing that is my deal is that you take the capacity we have, you charge variable rates, and traffic adjusts. And because so many people would say, well, I'm not going to go at 845 because it costs so much, I'm going to go at 9, then it levels that traffic out. Or somebody you might go at 930 says, you know what, I'm going to go run that errand at 10 when that road is free to go on instead of $4 or whatever it is. I know it's crazy. I promise you it is classic economics and it not would work. I guarantee it will work. Go ahead and register your complaints right now at Clark.com slash Clark Stinks because every time without fail over the last 15 years where I've talked about tolling all freeways in urban areas, it's always generated a lot of blowback on Clark Stinks, and I welcome your perspectives. Jill in Louisiana says, I'll be moving from New Orleans to Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the end of February. Is there a good rule of thumb about what stuff is worth moving with and what is not? I promised my husband he wouldn't have to do the packing, but otherwise I'm looking to minimize moving costs. I'm happy to sell, donate, dispose of anything other than a small amount of clothes, kids stuff, household items, and some of my husband's music equipment. Yeah. So uh, first of all, you got to know about cops custard and Culver's, which are two of my favorite haunts in Milwaukee. And uh, you're going to miss that incredible New Orleans food with cream and butter in every item. And New Orleans food is just incredible. But anyway, to your question. So you got to price what a move is. If you're using a professional mover, then that's pretty easy because the estimates are based on the weight and volume of your total possessions, usually weight. And then the second thing is if you're going to rent a truck and move yourself, the larger a truck, the more you're going to pay, although the difference is not gigantic, let's say going from a 16 to a 24 foot truck or whatever. So you can come up with what's the cost for getting the hassle of packing things up? What's the actual cost of picking up your possessions and moving them from New Orleans to Milwaukee. So you got that. And that becomes your baseline because then you can think through what does it cost to replace an item we choose not to move from Louisiana to Wisconsin? And this would be true with any move like that. And so knowing what it costs to, you may decide, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to give this away, 
But then what are you actually having to pull out of pocket if that's an item you're going to need at your new dwelling when you move north? And that's how you can figure it out. It, it, it is more science than art, actually, with that. As you start to assess, worth it, not worth it, because you can go online and you can see, oh, if I've got to buy a new whatever, this is what it's going to cost. And you'll be able to assess that. It is true that a lot of us accumulate stuff. I don't know how long you've lived in Louisiana, how long you've lived in the dwelling you lived at in Louisiana. But odds are, over the years, the more you stay in one place, you've accumulated a lot of stuff you don't use, you don't really need. That stuff you definitely don't want to move and you want to give away to whoever or whatever or if it has value, sell it. Yep. If you haven't used it in a year, like with clothing, they say if you haven't worn it in a year, donate it because you're probably never going to wear it. Now, there was that woman who was really, really in for a while. Who about oh, Marie Kondo? Yes. Yeah, is that her books. rule is one year? Uh, I don't know if that's her rule. She's more about if you love the item, if it gives you joy. But I know I've heard over the years from many people that that's kind of a rule of thumb. Gloria, New Mexico says, I've seen a lot of ads for class action lawsuits because of the contaminated water in Marine Corps Camp Lejeune. Is this for real or some kind of scam? My deceased husband was stationed at Camp Lejeune during the period these ads specify. He died of a very aggressive cancer a year and a half ago. Sorry about your loss. There are so many law firms blasting the airways with ads. How do you choose a law firm? Is it worth the hassle? So, Gloria, this is legit. It was a, a law passed to deal with the unsafe water supply that was at Camp Lejeune for, gosh, was it 30 years? The water supply for a very long period of time was very, very, very unsafe at Lejeune. And it caused a lot of tragic illnesses and early loss of life in people. And so the law firms are all like they're trying to get as much market share as they can from this and being very, very aggressive. And they're trying to get you to sign up with them. It is a bit of a law of the jungle here, knowing who to sign up with, because they are all PI firms, you know, personal injury firms that are very aggressive firms which is how they can afford to spend all that money on the TV advertising and on the web and all the rest. So this is one that I wish I could say, oh, well, this firm's going to be okay. Go to them. Don't go to that one. I don't have a solid answer on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can come up, Gloria, for you and other people, if I can come up with a good path for you to seek the best legal counsel. I mean, the short answer that I give anytime somebody's looking for a PI lawyer is you go and interview various PI lawyers in person. And if all they're about is trying to get you to sign a representation agreement and they don't really seem to have a focus on what you're about, they're not listening, they're just selling, that's not your lawyer. And that is good general advice on picking a PI lawyer. But I'm going to see if I can come up with a path, because so many people are affected by this, that I could recommend for you and others to pick a PI lawyer on these claims involving Camp Lejeune. And I want to thank your late husband and you for his service 
in the U.S. Marines and to our great nation. This is from Kelly in South Carolina. Thank you for all of the advice and savings opportunities you share. I know you're an advocate of getting off of cable and finding other ways to watch entertainment and TV. Streaming platforms are very popular, but what do you recommend or how do you feel about streaming devices such as these Android TV boxes they're called sometimes or these streaming devices that you purchase and they claim to have like thousands. This one she mentions has thousands of channels they say you can watch for free. Are there any others you prefer or should I consider streaming platforms instead? So these are known as pirate boxes and you pay an upfront fee and these have been around for years, although we haven't had a lot of questions about these in the last couple of years. And so you pay this big upfront fee and then they sell you a box that has all kinds of pirated content. Uh, illegal access to the stuff that normally you pay the big monthly fees for to relatively modest monthly fees for streaming product. Uh, A lot of these have a heavy concentration on sports content that has very high fees involved. I mean, you think about on our streaming guide of the equivalent of traditional broadcast channels, the ones that cut out sports are really, really cheap. The ones that have sports are really expensive. So these boxes, you're paying a company for a program box that steals content. And that's why a device that you might be able to buy from Amazon or from Roku for, let's say, 15, 20 bucks, maybe uh, three, $500, $1,000, whatever, because they are selling you pirated content, which is obviously illegal. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today. For advice that is not illegal and is also free, tune into our podcast any day, plus all the other information we provide for you at Clark.com, ClarkDeals.com, our newsletters, all the rest. They are free and within the law.